demonic. Yeah. Yeah. In our very Western, Southern Bible Belt American lifestyle, we've heard things like that before. We heard that unbelief is demonic because you don't believe in the name of Jesus. Well, what if you've believed in the name of Jesus and his saving work for your eternal life for years, but you have not believed that he really says that he has for you right now in this age what he said he has? Do you believe that his family really is what he says his family is? Do you believe that you really have a part in it the way that he said that you have a part in it? See, unbelief is not, does not only have to do with an unbelief towards the man Jesus and his saving work. It has to do with the characteristics of Yeshua himself. If you don't believe that he is who he says he is, if you do not believe that he is who the prophets said that he would be, if you do not believe that he is who the apostles proclaimed and testified him to be, then there's unbelief there. And I think Pastor Landon, Pastor Landon and Devin covered that really well with you. That's an interesting thought. When we look around, we see in the modern church that most churches spend phenomenal amounts of money, time, and effort on getting someone to believe that God exists. And then over time, what that produces is a bunch of shallow Christians because you spend most of your time just convincing yourself that God exists. Then you have apologetics YouTube channels. Okay, raise your hand if you believe God exists. Okay. Good. Well, then let's move forward into something that really matters and can actually edify you, encourage you, grow you and cause you to become like him. I mean, James himself said that even the demons are on the same page with you on that front. Right. So to what Pastor Devin and Landon shared with you in the past weeks, I say this unbelief gives birth to Poneros. Do you remember what the word Poneros means? It translates into the English as words like e evil or wicked or bad. But our English language on this one does not even come close to expressing what it actually means. It's not just a matter of morality or character. Poneros is evil characterized in you being exhausted, strained, and weary all the time. Has any of your Christian existence caused you to be weary, exhausted, or frustrated? That is not the way. So on this fine Father's Day of 2023, Happy Father's Day, by the happy way. Happy Father's Day. Faja. Faja. We are here to tell you this. Sons of God. Say sons of God. Sons of God. Sons of God inherit what is promised to them. Oh, not when you get to heaven, but now. Okay, just to make sure. Just to make sure. But children of God perpetually seek out while admiring it for another time. Hmm. Maybe it's not just after you die and go to heaven, which is already bad theology in the first place, but that's for another day. It's not only just about that, right? It has to do with what if it's like, well, once I get to this place in my maturity, Jesus, then I will get to experience this part of your nature. Or then after I accomplish this, once I get married, once we have kids, once we have grandkids, once I've pastored for five years or for 10 years or for 20 years, or once I get that title or that ordination, then I will experience yeah. that nature of who you are and who, I am, who you've said that I am. 
That is not how this whole thing works. Yeah. That is a system of slavery. That is not a family. Mm-hmm. There are many ways to look at this, at this subject, but I believe I can simplify this for you very quickly as we get started on it today. In the family of God, this is how the pattern works. We are spiritually orphaned. That's where he finds us at. Was that true for you? Yes. Was that true for you? Were, yes. you, were you spiritually an orphan yes. when he found you? He saves you, and then you become like a child. You become like a child before him. You remember that day whenever you went from being a big and bad adult who knew all the answers, and, you know, and then he struck you in the middle of your life and you're like I don't know anything Jesus I'm just (laughs) crumbling for you right now that's how that's when he takes you into being a child but becoming a son of promise is an entirely different thing and we want to show you that in the scriptures because we have been fighting really hard for this in generations of ministry like over the last couple decades we've been fighting hard for you to realize once again your childlike nature before your abba in heaven but there's also a reality of sons of promise right here in this life and today we'll walk you through those scriptures mostly in galatians and romans And then our personal revelation with it. We want you to be sons and daughters of promise and inheritance. Yeah. Do you want that? Yes. We want all of it for you. So go ahead and turn to chapter 2 while you're already in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. Say freedom when you get there. Freedom! I'm really excited today because I can speak in English and no one, I don't have to wait for someone to translate it. So that means I've been able to slip more scriptures into that place. Yeah, if I'm talking slowly, it's because I've yeah. repaced my speech for translators it's, the last few weeks. It's not because he's from Longview, Long, Yeah, that has nothing to do with it. Galatians 2.19. I'm going to read in the CJB because I believe he captures the essence of this. And you can read along in your translations as well. Verse 19. For it, it was through... Letting the Torah, first five books of your Bible, the basis of the entire Bible, speak for itself that I died to its traditional legalistic misrepresentations so that I might live in direct relationship to God. Wow. Saints, Israel was called the Benai Elohim, the sons of God, heirs to the promises of God. But when God came in the flesh, most of those sons missed God. I reminded to you today on this is that you can be a child of God but miss God. Are you with me today? You can be a son of God and not be experiencing all he has for you. Verse 20. When Messiah was executed on the stake as a criminal, I was too. When Christ was crucified, I was too. So that my proud ego no longer lives. Saints, Christian pride is the main thing that keeps sons from Christian power. I said Christian pride is the main thing that keeps you from Christian power. But the Messiah lives in me, he says, and the life I now live in my body, I live by the same trusting faithfulness, watch this, that the Son of God had. That's a powerful statement, saints. Do you have the same faith that Jesus had in his father? Hmm. 
who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not reject God's graceful, gracious gift. For if the way in which one attains righteousness is through legalism, then the Messiah's death, it was pointless. You stupid Galatians, he says. Man, that's family, right? Right? When your brother can look at you and say, you, just, you might be spirit-filled, but you stupid. <laughs> Who has put you under a spell? Before your very eyes, Yeshua the Messiah was clearly portrayed as having been put to death as a criminal. Galatians 2, 3-2. Uh, I want you to know, I want to know from you just one thing. Did you receive the spirit by legalistic observance of the Torah's command or by trusting in what you heard and being faithful to it? Are you that stupid? <laughs> Have, having begun in the spirit's power, do you think you can reach the goal under your own power? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If that's the way you think, your suffering certainly will not, will have been for nothing. What about God who supplies you with the spirit and works miracles among you? Does he do so? Does he do it because of the legalistic observance of your Torah or the way that you perfectly play out and live out your Bible? Or because you trust in what you heard and are faithful to it? It was the same with Abraham. He trusted in God and was faithful to him. And that was credited to him as an account of righteousness. What's the message today called, saints? Freedom. Freedom. And we're looking for freedom within the sons and daughters of the living God today. Somebody say freedom. Freedom. I, I want you to ask yourself today as we are sharing the word of God with you. Am I there yet? Do I believe yet? If not, am I going to walk out of this place with being okay with the yet? Or are you going to do something about it today? Did you come expecting an encounter? Or did you just come right to sit, soak, and listen, and endure a message, and endure a worship set, and walk out feeling a little fuzzy? Or did you come to actually change? Good, then you're in the right place. Saints, Paul had an amazing task among him in the letter of Galatians. He had to remind a thoroughly Jewish thinking Galatian church of God's original promise through Abraham. And watch this. By the means of an amazing Gentile concept we call adoption. But what you're going to see today is your concept of adoption is not the biblical concept of adoption. Are you in Galatians 4? If not, why don't you turn with me there? Before we get there, Romans 8.15 says this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received this, this God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him what? Abba. Galatians 4.28 says this. Now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise is that you this morning do you live your christian life fueled by promise or are you asking god to perform for you on a daily basis to keep your faith alive do you wake up each morning full of overwhelming gratitude that you're no longer an orphan but that you know that you're a son or do you wake up each morning hoping that he might just call you a good one 
Saints, every promise from your father in heaven is amazing because it aims because of what it aims at. But listen, a promise given with no destination is cruel. And cruelty is not our father's nature. Amen. Galatians says that you are children of promise. What does that mean? That means that you are the reality of what was spoken to Abraham and that the sons of God are those who are fueled by being the promise, just like Isaac. There was a promise spoken and you are it. But did you think that meant that you were just people who of promise who are fueled by like promise? I'm, that's a promise. And man, it's just magnetic. So it keeps pulling me through life. Do you think your father's just... He, he's actually one that just dangles a carrot in you in front of you your whole life in order to get you to move. That's called puppeteering and that's not God. Let that let that soak in for a minute. <laughs> what about some of those unanswered promises right now? Yeah, because whenever we start talking about the word promise today. As we are sharing this with you, you have to understand what promise actually means. And what it means for a good father to actually speak a promise over you. Because we've even got some bad parenting concepts here in America. Where kids are like, mom, can we go to the splash pad? It's like, mm, next week maybe. Do you promise? You're like, mm, yeah, yeah. And you just hope that they forget. For me and I might bring you. Yep. Perform for me and I might bring you. Okay, yeah, I'm hitting a little close to home on that yeah. one. Anyway, show up for parenting class. <laughs> Could you imagine Isaac on the day that he follows Abraham up the mountain? Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. The trust that took him up the mountain was not the same that brought him down. He went up with uncertainty, but he came down with confidence. You, friends, are like Isaac. Hmm. He went up with doubt, but he came down with none. Interesting. When you reluctantly follow in the footsteps of Abraham, isn't Abraham the father of our faith? Right? Right? We are the seed. King Jesus is the seed of promise. We're in King Jesus, so we are that promise. Yes. When you reluctantly follow in the footsteps of Abraham, it's like saying that the ram caught in the thicket has not been provided for you. But when you know that your, God, your good father in heaven sent his best in your place, <laughs> you will live a life running down the mountain with a newfound freedom, with vigor and power, and all of a sudden you feel free. Yeah. It was for what that Christ set you free? Yeah. It was for what? Yeah. It was for what? Freedom. Freedom's not an American cliche. Freedom is actually only something found by God for the sons of God. Galatians 2.20 says this. When the Messiah was executed on a stake as a criminal, I was too. My doubts and my reluctance and everything else was crucified on that cross 2,000 years ago inside of Messiah Yeshua. So that my proud ego no longer lives. But the Messiah lives inside of me. And the life that I now live in my body, I live by the same trusting faithfulness that the Son of God had too. 
who loved me and gave himself up for me. Watch this. So I do not reject God's gracious gift. That's interesting that he wrote that. That means there's a possibility that you do. Saints, the gift from our Father is the freedom to do what you should, not what you please. Amen? Amen. This is actually what Galatians is going to go on to tell you that unlocks the treasury of heaven that you're sitting on. You're in his house. It's full of the treasuries of heaven, the arsenal of heaven, and everything's yours, but you're going to have to unlock it. Galatians is about to help you do that. I remember the first time I met Pastor Landon and Emily. Man, they had a dream. They had a promise. They felt like as a young married family, the Lord was going to give them children. Were they right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they just keep on coming. It's like popcorn. But that problem wasn't a reality when I met them, was it? And then it was. And then it was no longer a promise at that point, was it? It was now a reality. Promise, reality. You don't have to hope for what you have, right? Yeah. The reality, the first one they called Judah. And now he gets to be a a prospect of his father. Judah's a prospect because he has been born into the best position possible to receive his father's full inheritance because he's a child in Landon's house. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Landon. Landon, is there anything in your life that you plan to withhold from Judah? No. If he grows up to be a man of God, but then he does not love Jesus along with you, is there some things in your life that he may not be able to participate in by his own choice? Yeah. So then he would not become your protege. Protege actually means one who is protected and trained of uh, or whose life is feathered by a person, experience, prominence or influence. Isn't that what Jesus did to us? Isn't it? Isn't that what he's done for us? Hasn't your life been protected, trained and feathered by the one who has perfect prominence, perfect experience and perfect influence in your life? Yeah, then Jesus aims to make you the same thing, his protege. Galatians is written to a Jewish church in a Roman culture. Follow me with this for a minute. You're a Jewish church in a Roman culture. You're an American, but now you're in Mexico. And they're going to teach you some things you do not know. But they need to they need to teach you as an American through an American culture. Well, Paul's about to do this to a Jewish church inside of a Roman culture. And he's going to teach them about adoption. And you're about to learn something about adoption too. Because it's not, this adoption isn't like you would have it. Matter of fact, if you grew up in a Roman household as a child, you began as a child. You began, you had tutors. You had teachers. You had even slaves in the house that had more authority than you did and you were subject to them but there was a time that came as you grew as a young man in knowledge understanding and stature and your father watched you as you grew up year after year after year and the father held in his hand the right to call you 
a son. Now you were a son in the house of a Roman father, but you weren't a son until he called you one by adoption which is interesting because we think adoption is bringing you into a family. In a Roman house, you were raised as a child and when the, at, the t at the appointed time of the father, he would look at you around a teenage age and he would appoint you heir and adopt you into the inheritance of the family. This is what Paul is trying to express to a Jewish people in a Gentile land saying, hey, you were a child in your father's house. But there was a time that would come set by the father when he would make a choice to call you a son of the inheritance. Yeah. Are you following me? Yeah. This is important for you to know because you can't read Galatians right unless you understood that key factor. Now, as a adopted son, in the house of your father, you now have right to rule and to reign the entire estate. You know what would happen to that Roman child when he came of age and his father at the appointed time of the father? The father would put a toga robe on him and call him his son. Is there anyone in here today that... Uh, would love to unlock some financial freedom. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to do one better than that. We're going to teach you how to unlock some kingdom inheritance today. Amen. Second Corinthians six, one stay in Galatians says as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Could you imagine receiving an inheritance and you can't touch it because you hadn't figured out how to get to it? For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And then the day of salvation, I helped you. Watch this. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of his salvation. Now, now, now. Somebody say freedom. freedom. Galatians 4 says, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is underage or immature, he is no different from a slave, although he does own the whole estate. Okay. The heir is subject <laughs> to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Wow. So the church in Galatia had Jews in it. They had been spread out across the area. They had Jews who had come into a knowledge and belief and following of Yeshua Messiah. But it was full of Gentiles. And so you can think about what does it mean whenever you preach a gospel of only freedom to a people. And then they start talking and behaving like the other group of people who are coming out of a bondage of legalism. And you start seeing that behavior, and then they're saying that that's their salvation. That that's what the, their salvation looks like. You can imagine that whenever you have put your life on the line, and you have sold all, given all, laid all on the line, and then you come back and you find that someone soiled the thing that you fought to give to them. That's exactly what Paul was seeing with the church in Galatia. 
He saw them running to a bondage of slavery by the law after they had never experienced that before because they're Gentiles. But they're running to a slavery because some, what the, our Bible calls Judaizers, were telling them that freedom in Jesus looks like you being able to please God by being perfectly obedient to every single law within Torah. Mm-hmm. Now that might sound very technical and religious to you today, but we need you to understand that you do have some of this in your life. Yes. You have this performance mentality in your head at times. Does anyone, has, has, let me say it this way, has anyone in here ever been legally adopted? We got two. Man. Amen. Does anyone here feel that they have been spiritually adopted into God's family? Amen. Does anyone here feel that they have been adopted especially into this local church family? Amen. Yes. Then let me ask you this. If you accept that adoption, then later reject it in your heart. Do you still not have the name of the parents who adopted you? Are you not still marked on your heart with the family and the call of the family here? Even if you right now in this room today feel far off from the others who are sitting next to you. Even if you feel distant, if you're relatively newer to this community and you still don't feel like you can quite relate, that you can quite walk into the community that's here the way that you see other people do. This is what we're talking about. Or if you've been here so long that you feel like you have a record of wrongs written against you. So it makes it hard for you to be able to speak to and relate to and draw near to the people who have loved you for a long time because you have a list of indictments in your head of things that you've done wrong or that others have done wrong to you. We're saying that you can be right here in this room, be a part of this family. There's a grand kingdom family that covers the breadth of the earth. And there's a family right here in this room. And we're saying that not only with Jesus, but even with others here in this room today, you can be an adopted son or daughter sitting in this room and be telling yourself every day that you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So just because you temporarily reject the calling and the benefits of God's family does not, does not then reject the reality of your adoption. That's why... People fight for you. That's why some of you in here in this room have fought for me. They said, no, 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 we became family, and right now you're not acting like it. Right now you're not talking like it. Right now you're, you are rejecting the thing that clearly God settled a long time ago. Why are you, no, this is done right now. Has, that, has anyone in this church ever done that for you? I know every single one of you in this room, and I'm willing to say 90% of people in this room, I have personally sat with you and explained to you how you are family and you do belong here. This is an issue within not just Remnant Church, but within God's people. So this very simply, though, denies you the realization, not realization like in your brain, like you realize something, but the realization, the manifestation of a promise that came at the time of your adoption. This effectually keeps you as an adolescent son in the house that always is looking forward to something that is far out, but struggles to live in it today. 
This is what Paul's getting to here. It's not just some deep, far-off theological thing. It's not complicated, though you've perceived it as complicated when you've read Galatians in the past. He is looking at a people who have been adopted, who have been made sons and daughters, who somewhere in their heart along the way turned to consider themselves a slave while also holding the rights of adoption at the same time. Consider today if that's you. Did you hear what Galatians said? As long as an heir is under age, he is no different from the slave. Although he owns the whole estate. That is a powerful reality to think about. I'm doing a little test for you. Some of you just heard, I am a slave. The others of you heard, I own the whole estate. Right? Yeah, okay, got you, got you. I am a slave, right? Honest, anybody thought that? Amen. Well, at least we're talking to one. And the rest of you are liars, so we're talking to all of you. I own the whole estate. Somebody said, praise God. Hebrews 11.1 literally says it. Now faith is the assurance. It's the title deed. The ownership. The proof. If you got faith, you got the title deed. And the title deed says you have the inheritance. But it doesn't mean that you're participating in it. It's confirmation. Watch this. Of things hoped for or divinely guaranteed and the evidence of things not seen. You're going to love this. The conviction of the reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. All right. We're about to either move on in the in this revelation or we're going to leave you behind right here. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot, cannot, cannot be experienced by the physical senses. So why try Galatians 5.1 says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Friends, there are too many Christians in this room today that are still in mental slavery. Yeah. You're in a free land, but you're not a free man. Yeah. You've been brought out of Egypt, but you drug your shackles with you. Today, we want to remind you that although you are a child of God, it is for freedom. It is freedom. It is freedom that marks the sons of God. There are children of God, Galatians says, and apparently there are sons of God, Galatians says. And somewhere along the way, there are two different things in the house of God. You are sons of promise. That's what the scripture says about you. And you are destined for freedom and nothing less. Destined for freedom and nothing less. And if somebody has sold you something else that says, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace so that you wake up each morning expecting the sin instead of expecting the win. Somebody taught you an incomplete gospel. Yeah. <clears throat> they sold you a bill of goods to get you to show up and put a little money in the tithe box. But they stopped studying their Bible a long time ago for some reason. 
Anyway, for too long we've let, we've let our own self-made unbiblical tribal religion steal from you. Are you following me? You know what tribal knowledge is? It's the stuff you get on Google and just hanging around other people that say they study the word, but you don't see any fruit in their life. You should move on. Legalism is a leech. Do you know Paul had to pioneer the word legalism? It actually wasn't in existence. And he had to make up a word for what was happening when, when the truth of God came out of Israel and entered the Gentile world. All of a sudden, an Eastern understanding of God met a Western understanding of God and something happened and he had to pioneer a word called legalism just to get the point across. Because the people of God were never legalistic until the gospel moved into a Western legalistic wineskin. Legalism is a leech. It gives you a false sense of accomplishment while robbing you of your confidence behind the scenes. Are you with me? Friends, all children of God are saved sons, but not all sons are free sons. Or I can say it like this. Slaves can not be sons, but some sons indeed can become enslaved and this is what Paul is addressing sons are enslaved when they seek to gain that which they already have been given his name but for those who are convinced that they already have it is that you those who realize that they are the promise spoken of of Abraham, the product of the seed, they are those whose lives will be marked by freedom and not marked by struggle, struggle, struggle bus, never win. We all struggle, but the saints of the living God struggle and win. They're not waiting for permission to be powerful. Are you hearing me? They're not waiting for permission to be powerful. They're not petrified and calling it a prayer life. You're free. They're not enslaved by logic or imprisoned by natural means. This is what Paul is saying. They are full of power, constantly on the move and supernatural in every single way. When you were filled with the Holy Spirit, you were filled with the supernatural spirit. When you were filled with the Spirit of God, you were filled with the personality of Jesus. And he is supernatural in every way. He can even get up out the grave. Their very impulses are now one with the Spirit because they know that they operate with the mind of Christ. Is that you? Is that you? Saints, you no longer live by careful, calculated measures. We do not desire a moderate dose of the Holy Ghost. We want it all. We do not serve opportunity. We serve the God of opportunity. Logic is not the leading of the spirit, saints. This is what Paul's addressing and you're about to see it. Logic is not the leading of the spirit because they have learned, we have learned to operate in something supernatural. These are the men who move in the direction of what has been promised by the spirit, not what has been guaranteed by the coronal calculations of your mind. Pastor Kaysen is going to liberate you with, a, with this phenomenon in Galatians 4. Are you ready? I mean, are you really ready? I mean, are like you born again ready? I mean, do you got your Holy Ghost cap on? Because you're going to need it. Our first verse is 
Uh, it's actually in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Look at that with me. <coughs> nice. You got it? Yeah, I didn't see that happen. <laughs> Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says this. So in Christ Jesus, <coughs> you are all children of God through faith. Amen. For you are all, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The lady said amen. Amen. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Yeah. Say the promise. The promise. There's an entire redeeming work that was promised all the way back in Genesis prophetically and then is spoken loud and clear over Abraham. Yeah. Later on in Genesis. Mm -hmm. And you are a part of that promise. Yeah. The promise, not just a promise, the promise, and then every promise that comes with it. Now, we're looking at a few different Greek words this morning that help you to actually understand what Paul is saying because our, our English language just doesn't quite capture it. The word that we see in our scriptures, and I understand we all have different English translations here in this room, but the time that you are reading, and it's talking about something like a, a son or a daughter, or sometimes even the word child, but rarely, that is carrying an inheritance, that is carrying a title on their life. They're not just a little one, a son who is carrying with them an authority, an inheritance, and not just the hope of it, the reality and the authority that comes with it. That word is called weos. Say weos. Weos. Now we're going to continue in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to help map this out for you. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 says, What I am saying is as, that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he does own the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. That was different from the Jewish culture where there was a bar mitzvah at a specific age. Yeah. And then you had to get on board with it. In this case, a father was waiting to see the characteristics of a son who had come into revelation of his inheritance. And then he got what was called the toga virilis. Yeah. His very own manhood and his inheritance given to him so it says so also when we were under age <clears throat> when we were under age we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world but when the time set had fully come god sent his son born of a woman born under the law yeah. to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, why is Paul speaking in a plural possessive tense? Why is he saying we, we, we? He's not talking to Gentiles. He is teaching Gentiles the reality of what Jews had been set free from. He is explaining to them, do not walk into bondage and slavery of legalism because this is everything the Messiah just set us free from. Yeah. Do not listen to the Judaizers. Do not listen to those who are living in legalism that tell you that your perfect behavior is the sign that you actually are a son of God. 
do not listen to these people because this is what we were just set free from. Yeah. So in verse 4 it says, but then... Um, Yeah, so here we go. And right here in this word, it says that the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So that when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elementary forces of the world. And then at the end, it says that we might receive adoption to sonship. That word adoption has the same root word as the last word I just taught you. Weos means sons and daughters. It means the adult sons, specifically, who are carrying the inheritance, the title, the deed, the everything, and they realize it, they know what they're living in it. They have received that toga virilis, and they are in their adulthood, so to say. Mm-hmm. Weothesia is what gets you to that place. Yeah. Weothesia is one of the most important words for you to understand in this, to understand what adoption into God's kingdom looks like. Because we do understand very easily in our culture orphans who were given up by their parents or who were homeless or had to go into foster care because their parents weren't able to take care of them at that time and then you adopt them into your family and they share no blood with you they don't have any genetic share with you but they take you into their family we say that is adoption Mm -hmm. and that is true even in the Roman culture, but then there was another layer to it and that weothesia was required even for the children who were already in the home. Mm-hmm. So there was an adoption that was for everyone. Why is that important? Because even, there was, even to the early church, there was a struggle to understand, is this salvation through this Messiah? Is this for the Jews? Is this for the ones that share in blood with the one whom was prophesied about? Or is this for me too? Do I really belong in this family? Like, I, I get that, like, I'm being saved, but did I get saved so that I could just come and be a slave in this Messiah's kingdom to these Jewish people? That's an interesting question to think about because you have probably thought in those ways sometimes too. Jesus, did you save me so that I could just come be a peasant to these pastors in this church? That's some nasty language, y'all. And I don't even like saying it, but it's what a lot of the American church is living in. Yeah. They're a bunch of drone bees going to church to do the bidding of the pastor who's sitting over 4,000 people at church every day. Now, 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 pastors, let's move on from the mega machines and go back to the word. (laughs) This is the importance of sonship. Whenever you're actually appointed as a son, you are taken out of either completely being an orphan or being a son who has not realized the weight of his inheritance. Yeah. Now, Romans 8, chapter 9 also says, and verse 6, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. But listen, if children, then heirs also. Why is that having to be said whenever we just said that weos, by way of weothesia, then makes you an, a son who's living in inheritance. Because there are two words to express children in the Greek language. Mm-hmm. Weos is the realized son, the appointed son, the son who has come under the appointment of his father to be at the forefront of the household. Yeah. But it says that our spirit is testified with the Holy Spirit that we are children of God. That word is technon. And technon... It says, if children, if technon, then heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
if indeed we suffer with him so that we might also be glorified with him. Yeah. We are sh showing you essentially today that you might have a revelation of adoption and consider yourself a technon. Technon is the word to describe infant children who only have an understanding of this completely dependent, affectionate relationship with their dad. And it might be affectionate. It might be genuine, but it doesn't have any promise attached to it. It just means that you are a nursing child who has no other concept of being a son other than that you would die without your mom and dad. Yeah. And is the kingdom not more than you just understanding that you would die without your Abba yeah. who is in heaven? Yeah. There is so much more to that. And that is the difference from a technon to a weos. And it takes weothesia. Say weothesia. Weothesia. It takes weothesia to take you from a little helpless child who just carries a name but doesn't understand the promise into a son who stands inside of the promise and the authority that comes with it. If you were growing as a young man in the house of your father and all of a sudden weothesia happens an adoption as a son that's an experience inside the house of god it's a transformation any of you done being transformed okay good so we can get on board with this because some of you are uh decisionalist meaning you made a decision a long time ago to get saved and you've been saved since then but you haven't let him save you from what you are so you're still a child and not a son because you haven't gone through an adoption into sonship although it is yours galatians 4 6 says this because you are his sons God sent the spirit of his son. Did you hear that? Because you're a son, something gets to happen to you. He sends the spirit of his sons into your heart. The spirit who then cries out, Abba. How many of you have a problem, right, with seeing God as daddy? Doesn't sound so, isn't reverent enough, right? It's, it's little, he's, still, he's a far off God, right? And he's judgment. Father. And he is those things. He is my father. father. But something about saying, Daddy, just don't sit right with your manhood. Yes, me. But he's, the spirit of the Weothesia cries out, Abba. It cries out, Daddy. There's an intimacy that happens there. There's a proximity that you enjoy that you don't stay away from because something in between you is there and you don't want to call it out for what it is. The word sin in the Greek literally means a relational misidentification, a legal violation in the heavens and a relational misidentification on earth. There is sin between you and your father because you have relationally misidentified with who you are or who he is and somewhere in between there's a miss but you need to get adopted that means you are no longer some something promised this is what galatian is saying you are the reality found in christ jesus and promised sons that live by something other than what man can proceed That means that you're inspired by what is possible with God. Is that you? Right? How many of you has been too long since you just felt free to dream? 
Oh, good. It's a whole house of dreamers then. <laughs> How many of you has been too long since, you've, since you felt free to just believe God for something impossible? Yeah. Formerly, verse 8, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature were not gods. Do you remember when you served devils that you weren't even aware of, but now you are in retrospect? But now that you know God or rather are known by God, isn't it? Be, isn't being known by God a really powerful reality? <laughs> How is it then that you are turning back to weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Will you say, Pastor, I, I, I've never turned back to lying and cheating and stealing and selfish ambition, immorality, etc., etc., etc. I've never turned back to those things. Then I want to remind you today who Paul's actually writing to. He's, he is writing to a Jewish church. Many of these people never did any of those things in the first place. So what exactly is it that Paul is trying to tell the Gentile people to run from and the Jewish people not to turn back to? What is it that Paul says will cause a child of God to never grow into a son of God? Galatians 4, 3 says it. So also when you were under age, you were in slavery to under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. So the Mosaic law that was given to Israel was designed to magnify and expose a universal law that the entire human race sought to find life through. Did you hear that? God designed a law within his nation that he chose. Abraham, Abraham built a nation inside the nation, right? Would express the nature of God to all nations. Inside of that, he created a law that would expose a, a, a problem and a reality going on in the entire universe. Everybody really needs to know that they're loved. That really everybody needs to know that they're a true son. That really everyone knows that they are living the life that Yahweh has intended for them. But they needed to start with knowing that all men fall short of the glory of God. So he started there because men did not know that. But then the law that he gave caused them to understand that. And then he could work from that place because now they were in need. There might be like two or three people in the room today who will catch the root word of the Greek word I'm about to share with you. But the elemental spiritual forces that are spoken about here is translated as stoikion. I know you know that word. Stoichiometry is what you study in college or in school whenever you're studying chemistry. You're studying how elemental forces interact within, with one another. And it, there's a reason it's called a science. A science is a study of a pattern that you can see realized in the earth. We have physics, we have chemistry, we have biology. We have many, many types of science. And we, who are sons within God's kingdom, are not under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. What does that mean? So we might consider things like theologically to come out as like cause and effect, right? Well, because I grew up in this household, then therefore I have these issues in my, in my faith with Jesus today. Because my daddy did this to me when I was a little kid, yeah. then therefore I have this issue. 
Anyone who's gone through some of the other programs that our Western culture has to offer you that is the fix to all your addiction issues, say some of these things. Well, you are that way because you went through this. They're telling you everything you already know, but the whole rest of your life is a struggle identifying as the addict that you once were, but it relies on you telling yourself every day you were on the brink of death and you might lose everything. Isn't that interesting to think that you were addicted 20 years ago to something? Christ set you free. You hadn't been addicted since, but somebody told you you're still an addict. What if you are a prostitute? Right. And you were a whore for 10 years and 10 and 10 years ago, you gave your life to Jesus. Right. He cleansed you, purified you, yep. made you free. And all of a sudden, 10 years later, somebody's out still telling you, hey, well, you're still a whore. Isn't that how Jesus found you? Wasn't that part of your nature? No, we are not under elemental forces whatsoever it does not matter what you've gone through it doesn't matter what family you came from it does not matter whether you're jew or gentile whether you're man or woman it has no matter what elemental forces you have come into contact in this life it is not chemistry it is supernatural and cannot be logically perceived because it is of the spirit. Somebody's about to get a revelation in this place. See, this is the product of you actually being able to sit for a minute and listen and not actually have a 30 minute sermon where somebody pumps you up like a cheerleader, sends you out the door. You can actually get the meat of the word this morning. Are you ready for that? Yeah. So this is another way that it can sound like this way of living says that you get what you deserve. Yeah. So it's not just a victim of other people's elemental forces. It's that you get what you deserve. You get it. That's it. Just cause and effect. If I work hard, then I will get nice things. Hmm. Okay. Like the whole world knows as a man sows, so he also reaps. Yes. We don't, we are not stuck under that law. (laughs) If I am lazy, then I will not get nice things. If I am (laughs) A good person, then I will gain favor with God, with the Father. Yep. If I am a bad person, I will lose favor with God. If I do well, then I will get what I deserve. Or if I don't do well, then I'll get what I deserve. (laughs) If he does bad things, then he will get what he deserves. Mm -hmm. And people cannot figure out why they are confused about the nature of God. He is recklessly destroying your concept of elemental chemistry, of logic, of physics. He is not bound under the laws of any science because he created the whole thing. So his system of family, his system of sonship has nothing to do with you having been an extra measure of dead weight before, so then, that, then therefore today as a son, you're also still a dead weight inside of this family. You are not just fundamentally, you are from the inside out, atomically, completely changed inside of this. Friends, the body of Christ is supernatural, right? You ever meet, you ever meet a, a prophet that's pretty decent at the law of deduction? And calls himself a prophet, all right, or someone that can string together 17 YouTubes, right, from all these different prophets, and all of a sudden they're a prophet. That that's 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 logical. That's not supernatural. There are men in the body of Christ that can hear directly from God, right? Not from the law of physics or the law of deduction, right? That's that's natural means, not supernatural. Paul literally says here the ABCs 
of the universe, the cause and effect, are bondage to you. And you live by them. When you live by them, you're going back to what you were freed from. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? It's exactly what Hebrews 11.1 1 said. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. If you are a son of God, then you are not bound by natural means. That's good news for you because many of you are limited right now by what you think cannot happen for you. Galatians is telling us that if you operate by cause and effect, mere natural means that govern the universe, you will, ex you will never experience the supernatural means of the kingdom of God right now. You have to denounce it and you have to begin to practice the presence of God. This is what it takes to unlock your inheritance as sons. And this is what is necessary for you to mature in the kingdom of God. This is what Paul is telling the people. Do not go back to what you were freed from. Move on to the unknown. Move on to the supernatural. Move on in the things that you do not currently operate. And move on into the things that you have to be dependent upon God on to mature in. Saints, you are free to experience the supernatural. I believe we lost that somewhere along the way and we desperately must return to it, saints. We, we begin in a supernatural way and we're just a little bit that way now, but we, in the name of Jesus, are going to return. Amen. This work, friends, was born of the Spirit and now it will also grow by means of the Spirit and no other way. Are you with me? I came here with a vision that this place would be a hub for the nations, that God would gather men and women who were hungry to see a move of God in this city. Men and women that were not satisfied with the status quo. Men and women that were not okay with just getting lost in the mega mentrosity we call churches today. Men and women that would call out for the name of the Lord and would see the lost saved in this city. Would see the homeless with roofs over their head because they would put them in their homes. Would see the dead raised. Would see pastors repent from their garbage that they call whatever they call behind a pulpit and they would rise up in the calling that they were called to and we would see men and women at a young age be anointed by the hand of God to go and to plant in other nations and to come in this place to be equipped. God gave me a vision that in this place we'd have a 24-7 discipleship property where we'd be a refuge to the city where people could come and pray under these trees and come into a home and pray that orphan spirit. And we would see men and women that would be called underdogs and would rise to the occasion and they would stand behind pulpits and they would lead men and women like commanders into the nations, into the 1040 window, into the places where the other people went. God gave me that vision and it's going to happen in Jesus' name. And then God's given you some vision because your sons and daughters live in God and you're called by a promise. You are the promise and you have a promise. And God's spoken to you things too. Your, your families will be restored. Your families will be filled with the Holy Ghost. They'll come out of dead religion. Your sons and daughters will return back. 
These are the things that are going to happen for you. God spoke to you and he's given you vision. He's given you insight and he's said to you some things. And in the name of Jesus, we're going to have leaders here that's going to show you how to go out and get what God has given to you in vision until it becomes reality. This is what he has shown us in this place. We're going to be a hub for the nations. We're going to be we're going to disciple men and women to love Jesus, to call upon his name, to walk away from sin and walk into sonship. We're going to see these things happen right here in this place. You're just the remnant of that, saints. God's going to give us a Gideon's 300 in this place. We're just getting started. I got no money. I got no strength, but I got the power of the living God. And that's all we need, apparently. Saints, freedom fuels fresh faith, and you need some. I said freedom fuels fresh faith, and you better get some. Romans 5 verse 1 says this. So since we have come to be considered righteous, what? I'm considered righteous? Yep, with all my failures and everything that's in this little body. I'm considered the righteousness of Jesus Christ by God because of our trust. Trust in what? Trust in his promise. Eve trusted God and she received a child. Noah trusted God and uh, and he never flooded the earth before again. Abraham trusted God and you're the seed sitting in this place. David trusted God and God said, I'm going to give you the throne. Joel trusted God and God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will have vision and your old men will dream dreams. Come on, there's some old men in the house that need to dream again. There's some young men in the house that need some vision. I can tell you that. Let us continue to have shalom with God through the Lord, Yeshua, the Messiah. Verse six, for while we were still helpless at the right time, at just the right time, the Messiah died on behalf of the ungodly people. That was you. But you are not that any longer. Amen. When I first encountered God, I was not looking for him. He found me. Isaiah 65, one said, I made myself accept." accessible to those who did not ask for me. I let myself be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, here I am to a nation that did not call upon my name. Maybe some of you grew up in a church. I did not. Thank the Lord. Hmm. We all, y'all making me more dignified. So praise the Lord for that. Saints, I'm here today because I responded to an invitation that I did not send for. And you know what? I did not get in return what I deserve. I got what he deserved. Did you hear me? I didn't get what I deserved. I got what he deserved. That's reckless. That's not good math for God. That's not logical. That looks at cause and effect in the face and says, you're wrong. In my kingdom, we don't operate in that economy. Come on. We don't operate in that economy. Cause and effect doesn't work in the kingdom of God. It might be working for you some way, but you're selling yourself short because what God can give you as an inheritance is much better than what you can produce as an inheritance. Somebody tried to tell me that gambling is not godly enough. 
I said, well, you don't know my God because he sure gambled on me. <laughs> verse 9, don't go out and run and buy a lottery ticket with your tithe money. I'm just going to reproduce. I was going to give it to the church. Yeah, okay. Therefore, since we have now come to be considered righteous by means of his bloody sacrificial death, how much more? That's called Calvary Calmer. And if it's true in the little things, it's true in the big things. How much more will we be delivered through him from the anger of God's judgment? Amen. For if we were reconciled with God through his son's death, when we were enemies, how much more will we be delivered in this life? Now that we are reconciled and not only watch this, will we be, del be delivered in the future for you all y'all are just waiting to get to heaven, but we will be boasting about God right now. Yeah. Wow. Saints, we want to see a people that are so free from the man-made religiosity, from their self-made self fear based calculated lives and their logic that they call wisdom from heaven. From their Google gathering, infomercial driven, dead principle living, that they begin to call dry bones out of their graves. And those dry bones say, what, a, what must we do to be saved? Because he has acted through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, Paul says, through whom we have all ready received reconciliation that comes with an inheritance in the kingdom of God he doesn't wait for you to die to give you an inheritance he gives it to you now saints in your if your way of life is lived through your own interior system of cause and effect then you have already backslidden from the faith that initially saved you you were never accepted on your own credentials. The Lamb of God was inspected and found perfect on your behalf. You were not accepted on your own merit. The King of Glory stepped down from the throne and wrapped you with his name and then presented you to the Father. And the Father said, I love that. Woo you were saved and called a child of God by his own mercy and you will become a mature son the day that you finally move forward in the same faith that you started with. Oh, foolish Galatians, who cut in on you? We gotta return back to a trust that defines, uh, defies our carnal minds, saints. Listen to what he says in verse 21 as we begin to wrap up this message. All this happened so that just as sin ruled by means of death, so also grace might rule through, the cause, through causing people to be considered righteous so that they might have eternal life through Yeshua, the Messiah, our Lord. <laughs> Which one's more powerful, death or grace? grace? Do you believe that? Then you wouldn't be afraid, so afraid of death. Does that cause you to want to do to not do anything in the kingdom or does that inspire you to do more in the kingdom? If that causes you to want to do nothing, you just need to get saved in the first place, saints. Friends, the law of cause and effect will never bring life. This is the design of the Mosaic law. That's why it's still perfect and good in every way. 
because it was designed to kill yeah. and point you to the one that could bring life. As a matter of fact, in Romans 7, is exactly what it says. It says, therefore, what are we to say? That the Torah is sinful? Nope. Heaven forbid, rather the function, say function. Function. The function of the Torah was that without it, I would have not known what sin is. So it illuminates. For example, I would not have become conscious of what greed is if the Torah had not said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, <laughs> seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, worked in me all kinds of evil desires. Hmm. For apart from Torah, sin is dead. I was once alive outside the framework of Torah. But when the commandment really encountered me, sin sprang to life and I died. The commandment that was intended to bring me life was found to be bringing me death. Mm. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, by Torah, deceived me. And through the commandment, sin killed me. So the Torah is holy, that is the commandment is holy, just, and good. What does that mean for you today? Yeah. The Torah was moral, civil, and ceremonial. It touched on every part of life. Yeah. The Torah was, perfect, was a perfect representation of cause and effect that the entire human race has always sought to replicate with its man-made traditions, religions, and systems of morality. Many things that you hear inside, written in Torah, you also hear, not all of it, but much of it, you hear written in other cultures too. There were yeah. simple laws of nature, laws of cause and effect. Eat this, don't eat this. Eat, drink that, don't drink that. Dispose of your sewage this way, don't dispose of it that way. Many civilizations and people understood these things, but God was trying to show a people the actual nature of what life they were living in. But here's the problem. Whenever we treat Torah incorrectly, it ends up being that most of them aiming, were aiming at something good, but then missing the point. Yeah. So then within, within Israel, you see Jews who are then considering adherence to Torah to be the saving work of God. Yeah. Yeah. Paul just said, as a, as a um, Pharisee himself, that Torah was never intended to save you. It was meant to show you that you were dead. Mm -hmm. So why at any point would you say your adherence to death, like literally to the death, your adherence to follow the rules to the death is what saves you? Wow. It's impossible. So they're not in competition. Torah, the law, and the law of grace are not in competition with one another. That's right. Why are they not in competition to one another? Because the law of grace was a fulfillment of the promise that was spoken over Abraham. And laws and promises do not compete with each other. Yeah. That's right. If God promises me that my seed will work and we will have children. Amen. But the law of science says that I am not able to then which one do you think I'm going to walk in? Oh, promise. I'm going to walk in the promise, That's but right. the law and the science says it's not possible, or that it's not easy, or it's going to be a miserable process for you, or you're going to have to have someone do something for you medically. Mm -hmm. 
That's what the law says. Mm -hmm. The law of nature. God's promise speaks otherwise. The ABCs of the universe do not bow to the kingdom of God. You walk above those things. Yeah. Most, of, most of them are aiming at something good, but they miss it. I, we just came back from an entirely Islamic nation, mm. and the level of morality there compared to the American church would make you reconsider whether or not you're even a Christian. There are better Christians than you are, probably, yep. if you're considering the legal system of obedience to the law to yep. be that. For sure. All day. I mean, we did not see not one sexual poster of an advertisement, not one time in that community. Not one angry person. No, no one was hateful kind. towards us, not one time. The, the nation as a whole is so against drugs, they will kill drug dealers on site. They will not let it into their country yeah, because they say that it will destroy their people. They will not let any of it in. So if there's this high morality people within Islam, does that make Islam kind of okay? Oh, no. Are they good people? Are they, are they like, are they, are, they, are they good people? See, none of these people were murderous. None of these people were violent. None of these people were any of that towards us. We had warm welcomes from every Muslim we ministered to. Some were just scared. Honestly, they were scared of us. Yeah. But here's the thing. There are only two kinds of religions on the planet. And Islam falls into the one that you do not fall into. One requires you to bring something, and then the other one won't allow you to bring anything. Okay, say that again. One religion requires you to bring something so that you might find yourself good in the sight of your God. The other one says, there is nothing you could possibly bring to me to prove to me that you are good because I already said that you are good regardless of what happened yesterday or what will happen tomorrow. I'm telling you, as long as you stick right here with me and you carry my name and my identity with you, you are a son of mine. And even if you mess up tomorrow or even if you messed up last week, there is nothing you can bring to me to prove to me that you are good. Yeah. Do you see how that divides us from literally everyone else in the world? Yeah. Even those of high moral code. Colossians 2.6 says this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, also walk in him. How did you receive him in the first place? You put your trust in what he could do that you could not do. And by his spirit, he saved you. How do you think that you're going to be sanctified any other way? This is what Galatians is saying. Do not turn back to the elemental truths of this world because they are no longer true for you. Instead, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and now overflowing with gratitude. Gratitude is the attitude of the kingdom, and every man must carry it the entire journey. But he will not if he thinks that the promise was fulfilled the day he got saved 10 years ago or baptized 10 days ago or filled with the Holy Spirit 10 hours ago. Every son of God will only have one person to blame for his maturity in the end, and it'll be King Jesus. Now listen to me as we wrap this up. 
Does that mean that you have no responsibility in your transformation? Absolutely not. You have to show up to grow up, saints. You must be fully present to become full of power. And that part's on you. Verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men. Watch this. And according, here's this word again, to the elementary principles of this world rather than according to Christ. Those two are opposed to one another. But, put, but we put so much trust in the cause and effect, in logic, and in principle that we imprison ourselves in a powerless Christianity and enslave ourselves in what Jesus delivered us from. It's why the letter was written to the church of Galatia. If it was possible for them who were so close to the origins, is it not possible for you today? Paul's point to Galatians is this. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. He devotes a whole chapter five to it. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. Foolish Galatians who cut in on you. Wow. Why do you call yourself a child of God yet if you're honest, you know you're, that you're not free? Yeah. How do you know that you're not free, saints? This is what he said. Sons are set free and remain free. Children indefinitely look forward to freedom and admire it from afar. Wow. Is that you? When we say freedom, is that something you admire or something that you're experiencing? You can be a son in the house of God your whole life and still be bound by a slave mentality. Luke 15 is where we're going to end today. Turn with us there as we close out. Say freedom when you get there. We're going to read this with you today. And then we're going to have you stand up and just receive what the Holy Spirit wants to do. See, that's a man of God who wants freedom right there. He didn't wait for somebody <laughs> to tell him to stand up. Amen. Alan, you're going to get it too, brother. Come on. You're receiving it right now That's already. right. Come on. Come on. Robe him, Lord. Drink Luke it. chapter 15, verse 22 says, But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, quickly, quickly. bring out the best robe and put it on him. Come on. It's fallen on Alan right now. Yeah. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Yeah. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and <laughs> yeah. has come to life again. Yeah. He was lost and has been found. Yeah. And they began to celebrate. Yeah. Come on. Now, now, his older son was in the field. Yeah. His older, what? Son. son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And the, son, the older son said to the servant, I'm sorry, and the servant said to the older son, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Yeah. But the older son became angry and was not willing to go in. Come on. The older son was not willing to go in. And the father came out. And the father came out. He's coming out after some of you right now. That's right. Yeah. 
and began pleading with him. Mm. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected not a single command of yours. Wow. Wow. He said, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, not my brother, when that ugly, messed up son of yours came home, you (laughs) gave him everything. Yeah. The one who devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But he, but we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate. We had to rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and now has begun to live. And he was lost, but he has now been found. Stand up with us. Stand up with us. Why does the older, seemingly more stable son in this house carry with him the embitterment and the disenfranchisement of a slave? The older brother knew himself to be an offspring in the house, a carrier of the name, one related to the father, but he did not carry the revelation of Weothesia. You must receive the revelation of Weothesia today. So then how does a man who was just embedded in sin come in and receive the whole thing? This is the evidence that your good moral standing and your slave-like labor will never, ever, ever, ever make you feel like a son. That's right. Ever. When we have some people in this room today, though, there are some in this room this morning that hate that their younger brothers got the fattened calf in the signet ring. Come on. Come on. They said they didn't deserve it. We have some people in this room who are observably not those who join the party. Mm-hmm. There ain't an ounce of joy on your face. That's right. And if there is, it's because something good happened to you and it's not about somebody else. Yeah. What does that mean? It says, means that you don't join the party because, not because you're an introvert, but because you don't like the celebration. Because on the inside, you hate that you have been here all this time, but you still doubt the legitimacy of your adoption. Who today is going to receive Weothesia? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come on. This breaks off jealousy of legalistic older brothers. Weothesia solves the orphan issue of a sinful younger brother. The same answer to both issues. It'll kill your legalism and it'll kill your sense of not belonging all at the same time. Who today is going to receive an adoption that is even for those? who were birthed in the room, but still don't know that they are sons and daughters with a promise. Jonathan David Helser sang these lyrics, I am your beloved, you have bought me with your blood, and on your hand you've written out my name. (laughs) I am your beloved, the one the Father loves, mercy has defeated all my shame. Oh, the one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. The one who knows every single thing that you've done wrong the most is the one who loves you most. There is nothing I have done that has changed the Father's love. If you're going to become a son of promise today, I have to remind you first, you have been made a beloved child, a technon of Abba. In Jesus' name, you are free right now. Of the list of accusations that make you feel anything other than a child of God. 
anything other than a beloved brother in the room. It's broken off now in, in Jesus' name. We're walking out of a lifestyle of watching our younger brothers receive an inheritance and hating them for it. Do you hate that the young men in the room or that the young women in the room have an expression of freedom and joy that you don't have? He's going to solve that in your heart today. Yeah, come on. Your disenfranchised concept of family is broken off right now. And we proclaim we othesia over every single one of you today. You're not just a child in this house. You're a beloved, called, empowered son and daughter who carries the name and the inheritance of the family. You are adopted in every single facet. Wow.